Proverbs chapter 25 in your Bibles this evening. I hope the sermon this morning, uh, those of you that tuned in this morning, I hope it was a, an encouragement to you. I hope it was a good reminder of things that we need uh, and just how to get going on that construction process of a Christian home. And we looked at uh, a spiritual home this morning. We finished the sermon by talking about pursuing holiness. And we want to... Uh, we want to be refined, and we talked about the fire that awaits us in heaven that will try us. And I just want to say this. I, uh, I preached a long time this morning, and, and I, wa- I wanted to get this in this morning, but just felt that um, maybe I'd wait till tonight and add this. Um, God turns up the fire on us here on earth, and he, he tries our works on earth uh, on a much smaller scale than he will in heaven. And James, or rather, First uh, Peter talks about that refiner's fire. And we are going to have that fire turned up under us. And fire is not fun. Uh, having that heat turned up under us is not fun. The purification process is difficult. Uh, but God is doing that to us to help show us where we are flawed. And so don't buck that. Don't fight that. Uh, allow God to make you holy. Allow God to work in the life of your children and your spouse. And um, you don't need to be the fire under your wife or your husband, per se. Let God do that. Uh, You don't need to be a knucklehead or a troublemaker that causes them misery to make them uh, more Christ-like. Let God uh, bring those uh, through other means. But um, by all means, let's let's do our best to pursue holiness. Well, tonight we're going to change and look at the other end of the spectrum. In the morning, we're looking at the construction of a Christian home in the evening. We're going to talk about the corruption of the Christian home. Some of you have um, had a Christian home established for a while, and those in your family have been saved for many years, and uh, you have a good framework down, and uh, your home is not perfect. Uh, You don't have a perfect marriage because no one does, and your children are not perfect because no one's are, but uh, all in all, you're thumping along down the Christian path, and you're doing the best you can to have a Christian home. And you say, Pastor, I've got it up and going, and we've got positive momentum. Uh, Pastor, uh, what is in this for me this month? And I would tell you that even the best home, even uh, the best marriage, even uh, the best behaved children are still vulnerable for Satan to corrupt, for the world to corrupt that home and take it from being a solid home to uh, being a home that falls apart. I do believe that uh, Satan is after every marriage, but he's especially after the marriages of those who have devoted their life to Christ. And the God, uh, or rather Satan, knows that uh, the the higher you stand above others, the more damage is caused when you fall. Think of a tree that uh, has many branches and many birds that live in those branches. If that tree falls, it does more damage uh, uh, than just a small tree or a tree that was always weak and fragile. And so... If you have an established marriage, if you have uh, established behavior with your children that's positive and things are rolling in the right direction, I'm here to tell you that uh, you are still vulnerable uh, to the wiles of the devil and the corrupting of your home. And then others of you listening in this evening, your home is not a happy place. Your home is a place of misery. And you're like uh, Martha, who used to attend the Spanish church I pastored in Glen Burnie. She said, Pastor, I love my children, I adore my children, but I... I drudge uh, the ride home from work 
and walking in the door and spending time with my children because her home was anything but happy. Her children did not listen to her. Her children did not obey her. Uh, Her children were rebellious toward her. She was a single mom trying to raise her children, and she just did not have a happy home. And I would tell you tonight that there are many folks who uh, uh, go home and they face abuse. There are many folks who go home and they struggle and they battle and they fight and their home is anything but happy. Why? Because uh, their home has been corrupted by sin. And so on Sunday evenings over the next three or four weeks, uh, we're going to look at the various ways that Satan goes about corrupting a Christian home. Uh, The way that sin goes about corrupting the Christian home. Let's look at Proverbs chapter 25 and verse 28 uh, this evening, just one verse to begin with. This will be more of a topical sermon. We'll be looking at many verses here. Uh, but the Bible says, He that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls. I'll comment more about what that verse means in a moment. But one more time, He that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls. The sermon I want to preach this evening, this first way that Satan goes about corrupting the home, and I believe the largest way he corrupts the Christian home, is this word in the title of the sermon this evening, anger. Anger. Let's pray. Lord, help us as we seek to understand uh, what your word has to say about anger. Lord, help us to be honest and evaluate our hearts. Lord, many people that have an anger problem are in denial. Many people that have an anger problem have a pride problem. And their pride prevents them from humbling their heart and dealing with it and accepting it and changing it. And Lord, many times when someone has an anger problem, everyone else in their life knows it but them. Lord, I pray that you'd help somebody tonight for the first time to get a good look at themselves in the mirror and see the struggle that they have, the destruction that it's causing, the pain and hurt, the, uh, the, the, the ripple effect that it has, not only in their life, but in everybody else's life they touch. And Lord, we pray for repentance this evening. We pray that people would uh, turn uh, their hearts over to you and trust you to give them victory over this. And Lord, marriages would be saved. And uh, Lord, uh, children would be, uh, 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 would be helped and rescued out of a difficult situation and would have a chance to grow up and have a heart that remains tender to you and your word. Lord, help us this evening in Jesus' name. Amen. Throughout the Bible, uh, when a man gives himself over to something, uh, that thing becomes so much a part of who that man is, uh, becomes such a part of that man's life, uh, that uh, it would become an adjective that God would use to describe that man. Someone gives themselves over to something so uh, totally to it uh, that the adjective of that action, the adjective of uh, of, of their lifestyle is attached to who they are. And by the way, this is both positive and negative. Uh, In the Bible, uh, we find a prudent man, a righteous man, a wise man, a merciful man, a diligent man, and a just man. All of these describe someone who is so given over to those attributes that they become that thing to God. But then there's the negative side. And in Scripture, we find a foolish man, a froward man, a wicked man, a deceitful man, a madman who casts out brands, 
a furious man who abounds in transgression, and a wrathful man who stirreth up strife. A wrathful man who stirreth up strife. The Bible describes anger in the heart of man a few different ways. In Proverbs 25, 28, the verse we read a few moments ago, the Bible describes anger as, or an angry man as a city without walls. A city without walls. In the Old Testament, they would build walls around a city. There were no air raids. There were no helicopters or airplanes to drop people in. And so you would build a wall around a city and that wall would be impenetrable. That wall would provide great protection. There would only be a couple of entry points in and out of that wall. It would be easy to protect. When an enemy wanted to take over a city, it needed to knock down its wall. And once the wall had been knocked down, the city that could then could be uh, uh, pillaged and burned. And as long as that wall was not there, it was open game for people to run in and attack. You may remember the story of the Israelites. When they came across the Jordan River, they made it to Jericho. And they walked around the wall of that city uh, seven days and a total of 13 times. That seventh day, uh, the seven times they marched around, they, they, they shouted, they blew their trumpet, and God knocked down the wall. And that city became open. That city became vulnerable to be attacked. And many people who have an angry spirit, they don't know it. Uh, they, they don't see it. It is as though they have angry man, angry spirit written across their forehead. And everyone knows it but them. And the slightest thing sets them off. It's as though their, uh, uh, it's as though their family is living next to a volcano. And at any moment, that volcano could erupt. And um, uh, they are on pins and needles that the volcano could erupt. Interestingly enough, about a volcano is that it may only erupt every once in a while, but there is always there is always an unsettling. There is always a boiling underneath the surface of that volcano. And such is the case with an angry man. He may only erupt once a month. He may only erupt um, uh, 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 here and there. But there is always a spirit of anger underneath and the slightest thing can set him or her off. And what you find is that they are as a city that is broken down and without walls. We see that an angry man is compared to a city without walls. Secondly, by way of introduction here, we see that an angry man is compared to an unbearable load. An unbearable load. Proverbs chapter 27 verse 3 would be the reference point there. I want you to imagine with me, if you will, that you take a heavy rock, um, a rock that weighs 15 to 20 pounds, and you hand that rock to that child, and that child has to carry that rock with them everywhere they go. Maybe it's strapped to their back and uh, strapped to the wife's back. Or if the wife has the anger problem strapped to the husband's back. And everywhere he goes, everywhere those children go, they have to carry that rock. I've gone on long walks before and I've had to carry objects that were only a few pounds. And what you find is that after a five or six mile walk, an object that weighs just a handful of pounds begins to feel heavy in your hands. How much worse is it when you hand your children, when you hand your spouse an angry spirit? They must walk around with your angry spirit bore upon them. It is as though it is an unbearable load on all those that are in your life. Proverbs chapter 27 and verse 4, if you look at some of the root words in that verse, compares an angry spirit to a flood. 
to a flood. Uh, God destroyed the earth with a flood, and we know the power of a flood. Uh, we've seen tsunamis go through and wipe out um, uh, uh, businesses and homes and church buildings. We've seen uh, uh, floodwaters that carry cars down streams, and uh, we'll, we'll, uh, we've seen people have to stand on rooftops and be rescued by helicopters because of a flood. And when uh, someone has an anger problem, it is as though a deluge, a flood, comes running through every relationship in their life and creates great damage. It washes away relationships. I'm talking about uh, business relationships that are soured because someone loses their temper. I'm talking about marriages that are dissolved because someone cannot control their temper. I'm talking about children who disown their parents because someone cannot manage their temper. I'm talking about teenagers who are rebellious because mom and dad cannot control their temper. It is though a flood has run over them over and over again and they have been forced to run away, they've been forced to hide on a higher plane away from that angry man, that angry woman. Proverbs 27.4 also compares an angry spirit. Again, you'd have to look into the root uh, uh, word there in the verse, but compares it to a poisonous snake. A poisonous snake. Uh, have you ever been bitten by a snake? I never have been. I've had a couple of close encounters where I've had a snake take a strike at me when I was a teenage boy living in the southeast. I used to fish a lot and down by uh, uh, ponds and whatnot, you'd have water moccasins that would swim up near you and you'd have to keep your eyes open for them. And anger is a venom. It, 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 it jumps from one person to another. I think of the verse that says, make no friendship with an angry man, lest they'll be like him and learn his ways. The venom in one heart can seep into another heart because it's as though a poisonous snake where it's being transferred from one to another. Uh, one more example here by way of introduction. Anger can be is compared in Scripture to a fire-breathing dragon. A fire-breathing dragon. Job 41 verse 10 um, uh, describes Leviathan. And one of the words used for the word fire in that verse, one of the Hebrew words is translated anger in other places. And you think of Leviathan. And Leviathan was a fire-breathing dragon described by God Himself to Job uh, there in that book. And Leviathan had fire that, that ran out of its nostrils. And you think of someone who has an anger problem. You think of someone who it loses their temper, someone who gets angry and blows their top. What you find is fire that scorches the earth. It scorches relationships around them. An angry man is a type of person who is knowingly or unknowingly addicted to anger, addicted to anger. Now, I want to take a pause here and make a couple of comments. The first one is this. Um, I have shared my testimony, and I don't plan on going into any details tonight, but I have shared my testimony from behind this pulpit on a couple of occasions, how that I have dealt with an addiction to anger in my life, and I've had to call out to the Lord to give me victory over this and to help me with it. And um, uh, there's still a predisposition to an angry spirit that lies within me, and I have to call out to the Lord and help me. And so as I preach this sermon this evening, I don't preach down at anyone. I preach out to those. I call out to those 
who find themselves in this pit, find themselves struggling, and I say to you, I know right where you are. I know right how you feel. I know the pain and hurt uh, that lands in other people's eyes. I know the denial that lives within a heart. Uh, I know the excuses that one makes. I understand, but I'm here to tell you tonight that God can give you the victory. He can bring you along. You must first identify that it is an addiction that God must help you with. The second uh, uh, footnote or sidebar I want to add here is that I did a lot of work studying for this sermon this evening, and I pulled from a lot of different sources. There was one source in particular I found very helpful. And um, if someone is listening to this message online and thinks, boy, this material sure sounds familiar, some of this material uh, I got from a man named S.M. Davis, he uh, is a prominent evangelist in the southeast, and he has preached a whole bunch of sermons on the topic of anger that have really, really helped me along. And so I want to give credit where it's due. Uh, a portion of my outline is borrowed from him, some of my subpoints, points, uh, but um, and, and some of the quotes and things I'll use in here are from him. And I would just encourage you this. If you have a problem with anger, beyond going back and listening to the sermon that's preached this evening, um, uh, YouTube the name S.M. Davis, S.M. Davis Anger Sermons, and listen to what he has to say, and listen to them on a cycle, and they will be a help to you. Um, uh, uh, Charles Spurgeon said this about anger. He said, anger is temporary insanity. Anger is temporary insanity. And I have to say that if you go on YouTube and you uh, uh, just go or just YouTube search uh, someone who's having a tirade, an anger tirade, and you turn down the volume and just watch their body language, what you'll see is someone who has entered temporary insanity. If I could videotape you in an angry tirade and have you go back and watch yourself, what you would find is that you were a person who was suffering from temporary insanity. Uh, you, uh, and someone once said, you can't get rid of a bad temper by losing it. You cannot get rid of a bad temper by losing it. Um, uh, please hear what I'm about to say, because this relates to the home very much so. Uh, please, I, I want you to hear, out, hear this out here. If you have a marriage problem and an anger problem, then you cannot correct the marriage problem until you first correct the anger problem. Let me say that again. If you have a marriage problem and an anger problem, you cannot correct the marriage problem until you first correct the anger problem. Here's another one for you. If you have a parenting problem and an anger problem, you cannot correct the parenting problem until you first correct the anger problem. I, I've heard people say, but pastor, but pastor, I can only get my spouse motivated by losing my temper. I can only get my children to do their chores or to obey me if I lose my temper. Uh, there's a story told about a struggling Major League Baseball team, and they had lost nine games in a row, and uh, the team was uh, just seemed uh, disengaged and disinterested. There was a pitcher on that team 
who uh, was driven by his passion and his love for the game. And with every recurring loss, he got a little bit more upset and he bottled that up on the inside. And after the ninth loss, he walked into the clubhouse and he called for a players-only meeting and they closed the door and kicked the coaches out. And this pitcher lost his mind. He lost his temper. He threw water coolers around. He punched a locker. He gave up impassioned, angry speech. And the team went out that day and they won the game. And they won the next several games. They went from a nine-game losing streak and they won several games in a row. And uh, the the players uh, were under the false premise that anger was the motivating factor. And boy, that guy went in there and he let us have it. And boy, because of that, we started winning. And anger is good. And we need more of that. And I would say, no, we don't need more anger. Here's what you need to understand. We need intensity, but we do not need indignation. You need to understand there's a difference between the two. You can be intense. I'm intense right now. I am preaching with intensity, but I promise there is no indignation uh, in in me as I preach. Uh, uh, You can be high-spirited without being harsh. Uh, You can be judicious without being judgmental. You can be emphatic without being enraged. You can be watchful without being wrathful. You can be determined without being destructive. Boy, uh, the next quote I'm about to give uh, is um, is extreme. I hope somebody this evening is listening up that still has children at home. Parents should make it a bigger goal to conquer their anger than to conquer their children's disobedience. Parents should make it a bigger goal to conquer their anger than to conquer their children's disobedience. I've had parents come to me and say, my children are awful. My children are rebellious. My children don't listen. My children act out of line. Usually one of the first questions I ask those parents is this. Does one of you have an anger problem? Does one of you have a temper problem? Ephesians chapter 6 verse 4 says this, And ye fathers, that means parents, Provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. I could tell my son before I leave for work, Matthew, take out the trash. When I get home from work, the trash is not taken out. I've seen many fathers, or known of many fathers, who would call the son up and rake him over the coals and berate him and humiliate him and yell at him, and lose their mind on him. You know, you don't have to do that. My children only obey if I lose my temper. My friend, that's your fault. You see, because you could just say, Hey, son, come here. Hey, um, take that trash bag out of there for me, will you? And tie that up. Hey, let's go for a walk together. We're going to walk outside, and you're going to place that in the trash can. I'm going to go with you. And on your way back in, you put your hand on his shoulder and you say, next time I ask you to take out the trash, I want you to take out the trash. Am I clear? Do you understand why children rebel? Some children rebel because they're sinners. Can I tell you why many, if not most, children rebel? 
They rebel because their parents are bullies. You see, um, when you scream and yell at a five-year-old, an eight-year-old, a ten-year-old, because you are bigger than them, they do what you say. And if they want to scream back, which is a natural human reflex, we squelch it and call it disrespect. I want you to stop and ask yourself this. If you had your boss, maybe your spouse, uh, maybe a friend who lost their mind on you and started screaming and yelling at you, what would be your natural reaction? Um, The natural reaction is to yell back. The natural response is to defend ourselves. The defense mechanism comes back. And when we're being yelled at, the natural desire is to yell back and match the intensity and match uh, the anger. You know, your children have the same reflex. And when you tell them not to do that because it's disrespect, that fire within them is internalized. When they hit 14, 15, 16 years old, it begins to seep out of their bitter heart in the form of rebellion. That angry spirit becomes generational. And a child who grows up in an angry home turns around and acts angry himself or herself. Parents were commanded to not provoke our children to wrath. How do we do that? That word provoke there and that word wrath there in Ephesians 6, 4 are the same root word. Ye fathers, wrath not your children to wrath. You say, well, righteous indignation. I am upset with their sin. And I would come back and say, show me one time in the Bible where the phrase righteous indignation can be found. It's not in the Bible. Well, the the principle of it's in the Bible. No, it's not. You say, well, the Bible tells us to hate sin. With all due respect, you can hate sin without being angry. I propose that Satan is using the demonic power of an angry spirit to to poison families. An angry spirit can lead to unruly children. An angry spirit can lead to rebellious teenagers. An angry spirit leads to a splintered marriage. The large majority of families uh, today have at least one person living within their home that is poisoning the home with an angry spirit. Likewise, I propose that through the power of prayer, the power of humility and accountability, uh, uh, and the power of accountability, God can deliver you from the bondage and the pain that anger brings. Let's look at three thoughts as we begin our series, The Corruption of the Christian Home and this topic of anger. Point number one is this, the cost, the cost of anger, the cost of anger. I want to say this uh, here, anger kills relationships. Anger kills relationships. Anger crushes Children. It crushes children. A quick look at just a handful of families in the Bible and we can see just how destructive an angry spirit can be. Because of anger, Cain killed Abel in Genesis 4 verses 6 and 8. Because of anger, Joseph was thrown in the pit and sold into slavery. See Genesis 37. Three times Saul threw a javelin, King Saul threw a javelin at a family member and tried to pin them to a wall. Once his son and twice 
his son-in-law. Another time, King Saul wanted to have his son killed because he ate honey during a time of war. King Saul would then, uh, in an anger, uh, anger rage, uh, have the priests murdered. Uh, King Herod, uh, uh, because of his anger, would have all babies killed under the age of two. That was done out of anger. Look at the devastation that caused all of those families. Your anger may or may not uh, uh, bring you to a place of physical murder, but I promise you, I promise you that if you don't deal with your angry spirit, it will kill your relationship and it will damage your children. Somebody's listening tonight and they're saying, Pastor, I don't think I have an angry spirit. And others around you know you have an angry spirit. You say, Pastor, how do I know whether or not I have an angry spirit? Go to three spiritual people in your life that know you well and ask them to give you an honest evaluation to tell you whether or not you have an angry spirit. If you do, they'll be open enough to tell you. You may not like it, but you should be open to the truth. The cost of anger. I promise to this evening, if you were walking around with an angry spirit, you were doing far more damage to the relationships in your lives and future relationships of those under your influence than you will ever begin to understand. The cost of anger. Notice number two, the captivity of anger. The captivity of anger. Turn over with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter number 4. Ephesians chapter 4, and we're going to read from verse 26 down through verse number 31. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26. Now, if you've heard me preach on anger before, you've heard me explain this passage. And no doubt there's someone who will see this this evening. And um, uh, you have to understand that when we put our messages on YouTube or uh, we allow people to tune in and watch us live, there are going to be people that don't have the context of past sermons that are preached here. And so if some of my explanations are redundant, uh, please bear with me as it is important for us to do so. Look at verse 26. The Bible says, Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the things, uh, the thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you're sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, let all wrath, and anger, and clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Back in verse 26, look at verse 26 and 27 with me. Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. What we have in verse 26 and verse 27 is an explanation of a downward slide into something I will call anger bondage. The downward slide into anger bondage. Let me show you how it works here. Let's look at the digression with an A, B, C, and D letter A. Notice the word stirring. Stirring. Look back at verse 26. It says there, Be ye angry and sin not. Notice those first three words of the verse. Be ye angry. Now, someone who would read that would say, See right there, preacher. See right there, pastor. God gives us a provision to be angry. And I would say, I don't think so. I don't uh, believe that that's what that means. Let me try to make a case for you and show you uh, that while it says, Be ye angry, uh, uh, we put that in context with every other verse in the Bible, even within the verse in verse 31 that shows us just five verses later that we're to put away all anger 
from us. Let me try to explain to you what this means. The verb tense here for be ye angry. The verb tense, the verb would be be angry. The verb tense is, notice, present passive imperative. Present passive imperative. Now, the, the, the fact that it's passive, uh, means that the action is being done to, uh, you, not by you. The action is being done to you, not by you. So, uh, uh, be ye angered. Be ye angered. Um, uh, let me make the case for you this way. We are all put in angry situations. We all are. Uh, from time to time, somebody will do something that stirs our spirit within us, that makes us feel a sense of anger, that makes us feel a great sense of frustration. Feeling that is not a sin. Uh, let me give you an example like this. If I'm walking down the road, or you know, earlier today I was in a store, and I was walking through the store, and there was a young lady in the aisle there. She must have been in her early 20s, and she was not dressed very modest. It's getting warm outside, and so people are beginning to take their clothes off, unfortunately. And uh, she was not dressed very modest. In fact, I will go a step further and say she was dressed in a way that was highly provocative. I would ask this question. Was it a sin for me to notice the way she was dressed? The answer is no. I came around the corner, I came down uh, the aisle there, and she was standing right in front of me. It was not a sin for me to glance. It was not a sin for me to notice. It would have been a sin for me to stare. It would have been a sin for me to look away and then look back. It would have been a sin for me to look away and then hold on to that mental image in my head and use it as an opportunity to lust. Glancing was not the sin. Dwelling on it, uh, looking back a second time, is the sin. When somebody does something to you that stirs up your spirit, feeling stirred up is not the sin. But if you do not immediately turn that over to the Lord, if you do not immediately let that go, if you do not immediately uh, turn that thought captive to the obedience of Christ, it is equivalent to dwelling on lust. Now, anytime I preach on this topic, there are a couple of questions I feel obligated to answer. One is to answer uh, what Ephesians 4.26 means or says. And the other question I commonly get is this. But didn't Jesus get angry when he purged the temple? And the answer to that question is, I don't know. I don't know. The Bible does not say that Jesus got angry. When he purged the temple. In fact, the Bible tells us that Jesus took the time to make a whip. And so um, that meant it was premeditated. It was done in a way that was cold. Um, if you want my opinion, I don't believe when Jesus cleansed the temple, he was angry. In fact, the Bible only tells us one time that Jesus directly was angry. And that's found in Mark chapter 3 and verse 5. And in Mark chapter 3, verse 5, he's getting ready to heal a man on the Sabbath. He looks into the hearts of uh, the Pharisees and he sees how uh, judgmental toward him that, uh, he, they, that they are. And the Bible tells us that he was angry, but it also tells us that he did really, he did nothing with that anger. He did nothing about it. Here's the question. Am I allowed to be angry because Jesus was angry? And the answer is no. 
And here's why. Jesus is God. And God is allowed to do some things that we are not. Who is the giver and taker of life? Well, God is. Every single person that dies, God signs their death certificate in heaven before they die. He signs off on their death. Uh, God could choose to strike me dead with a heart attack this very minute, and he would be just in doing so. God is the giver and taker of life. He has that authority. I do not have the authority to take life. You get where I'm going with this, is that there are actions God's allowed to take. There are emotions that God is allowed to feel that are reserved for Him and Him alone. Uh, I don't believe that anger was something that Adam and Eve felt in the Garden of Eden prior to the fall. Anger was an emotion that was handed to them after the fall. After the fall. Uh, let me make the case this way. The Greek word used for angry in Mark 3, 5 is the word orgy. And it is used 36 times in the New Testament. Uh, but it is never used in relation to any other person in the Bible but Jesus himself. That same Greek word is used in three different verses, verses to tell us to not use anger at all. Let me give them to you here. Ephesians 4 verse 31 says, Let all anger, uh, that is the same Greek word, be put away from you. Be put away from you. Uh, that is the same word, Greek, Greek word, anger, orgy. Let all anger be put away from you. Colossians chapter 3 verse 8 says this, Put off all these, there's a list, on that list is the word anger, and so on. Again, that word anger in Colossians 3.8, that we're told, when we're told to put off anger, is that same root word, orgy. Uh, orgy. James chapter 1, verse 20, The wrath of man worketh not the righteousness, righteousness of God. That word wrath is the same root word we're told in these three verses that in every instance, anger is a sin. Stirring, stirring. There is a difference between frustration and anger. Frustration is not a sin, but anger is. And if you could imagine that you have a swimming pool, and when that swimming pool gets filled, it pours over, it overflows into another swimming pool. And when that swimming pool gets filled, it overflows into yet another. So imagine with me four swimming pools lined up. And as I prepared this, I was going to have Brother Joe illustrate this, but I thought, nah, that's too difficult to pull off. So uh, I didn't even give it to him. But imagine, if you will, you have a swimming pool. And the first swimming pool we'll call frustration, all right? There's nothing wrong with being frustrated, but some people live with that frustration pool filled all the time. And one drop of frustration lands in the pool and it overflows into anger. And the slightest thing sets them off. And what happens when the anger pool fills up? Anger pool fills over into hatred. And the hatred pool fills over into bitterness. And there are people walking through life and one drop of frustration uh, ends up all the way over here into quick bitterness. And you look at people and you say, how could they be so bitter? How could they be so angry all the time? And the truth is, they have a great deal of frustration that they're living with inside and every little thing sets them off. You say, well, pastor, how do I drain the pools? And the answer is prayer. It's prayer. It's confession of sin. It's an acceptance of reality. You understand that someone who is frustrated and does not confess that frustration, does not deal with that frustration, does not uh, resolve that frustration, that frustration will eventually lead to anger. 
stirring, stirring. Is it a sin to have our spirit stirred? No, but it is a sin not to immediately dismiss it and give it to the Lord before we act upon that feeling. Letter B, notice, sinning. Stirring, and now we see sinning. Again, the downward slope into anger bondage. Look at verse 26. Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. When does it become sin? When does that stirred up spirit become sin? It becomes sin the moment those feelings of frustration are acted upon by the flesh and not subdued by the Spirit of God. Now, um, uh, the other day I was putting together uh, a some assembly required kit in my garage. And it was a tool I had purchased. And I'm putting this tool together. And um, the instructions were long and arduous. I think it was about a six to seven hour project to put this together. And um, uh, I got to a place where I was following the instructions to the T. And uh, it just wasn't working out. And I took my hammer, and I threw it on the ground, and it bounced up and almost hit me in the face. You know, when you are angry, you behave in a way that's foolish. What was I going to do? Hurt the hammer? What was I going to do? Damage the instructions that were trying to tell me how to do it? Um, It was not a sin for me to be frustrated that... I couldn't get the 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 uh, furniture the, the the item together. It was a sin when I decided to take that frustration and act in the flesh. Your spouse says something to you that's cross, stirs up your spirit. It's not a spirit for you. It's not a sin for you to feel stirred. It is a sin when you choose to act in the flesh and attack back. By the way, you don't have to yell to be angry. You ever heard of the term passive-aggressive? Some people will never raise their voice but cut you deep with their tongue. They're doing that out of a spirit of anger. It becomes sin the moment that it's acted upon by the flesh instead of being subdued by the Spirit of God. We see the downward slope into anger bondage. Someone who lives in bondage to an angry spirit. We saw stirring and then sinning. Notice the next downward digressive step is settling. Letter C, settling. Look back at verse 26. Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Many people will say, well, I got angry and I was blowing off steam and I was blowing off smoke and boy, I just need to get that out of my system. Uh, No, you didn't need to get it out of your system. You needed to give it to the Lord. And the idea that I just had to blow up and I blew up and it's all over with now. Oh, my friend, no, because of the the, the damage that you've caused to all those that heard it and saw it and were affected by it. Uh, it's not over. In fact, it's just began to create a whole other set of problems. But how much worse is it when we act upon it in our flesh, we justify it within our heart, and then we go to bed and we sleep on it and we never confess it? I'm talking about a husband and wife that instead of going to bed hugging each other at night, they go to bed with their backs turned to each other. An angry spirit resides between them, and there's frustration and anger. I'm talking about a dad 
who yells and berates his children and sends them off to bed with no supper and lets them go on to bed with an angry spirit between them. I'm talking about a, uh, uh, an employee or an employer who has it out uh, at work and then goes home and uh, uh, just pretends as though it never happened and their pride never allows them to address it and they allow the sun to go down upon that wrath. There is not just the feeling stirred. There's not just the blowing up. Now that angry spirit is settling into the fabric of their life. The fabric of who they are. And letter D, and lastly, and this is the one where I believe many Christians are, signing over. Signing over. Look back at verse 27. Be ye angry, that's stirring. Sin not, sinning. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath, uh, settling. Look at verse 27. Neither give place to the devil. We don't want to give the devil a toehold because that leads to a foothold. And that foothold leads to a stronghold. Well, we don't want to make that mistake. Now, I want to be very clear here. I don't believe that a Christian could be possessed. But I sure have seen Christians who are oppressed. I'm talking about a man who just takes his tongue and rips to shreds his wife, that poor woman. I'm talking about a wife who can use her tongue and just cut the ribbons her children. I'm talking about an employer who just berates the employees. And there's almost a battered wife syndrome amongst the employer and the employees. It is a satanic spirit that has taken over that person. This is someone who just seems angry all the time. I'm talking about a King Saul who just seethed in anger to the place where a harp is being placed in his presence and jealousy takes over his heart and he picks up a javelin and he throws it at at David, the boy David, to try to pin him against the wall. I'm talking about a man who has a rough day at work and comes home and takes it out on his children. There's a man who listened to a sermon on anger and the Lord really began to deal with his heart on it. He went home and he said to his his wife and his children, he said, I'm going to give you corrective power over me. Boy, what a humble spirit to be able to do something like this. And he said to his children, I don't want you to say anything to me when I seem angry to you, but I want you to come up and just place your hand on my shoulder when you sense that an angry spirit is taking me over. Help me curb it. Help me get out ahead of it. Just a couple of hours later, he was... Um, uh, handling something there in the house that was beginning to frustrate him. And his daughter came over, and the uh, little eight, nine-year-old daughter came over and put her hand on dad's arm. And he looked at her and he said, I seem angry to you? And she said, yes, dad, you do. He said, over the next two weeks, dozens of times, my wife and my children put their hand on my shoulder And through the touching of my arm, my upper arm or my shoulder, God began to reveal to me just how angry my spirit was. How that I had signed myself over to the satanic oppression of anger. He was an anger addict. It is a captivity. It is a captivity. Boy, I hope as I've preached this evening... That if you are in that spot, that the Lord's revealed that to you. You can see the cost of anger. 
You can see the captivity of anger. Let me give you the last point of the sermon this evening, and let's look at the cure for anger. The cure for anger. I was once working with an addict. We were sitting in a burger restaurant. We were talking about his recovery efforts. He said something to me I'll never forget. He said, Pastor, I've walked a mile in the woods. I'm going to have to walk a mile back out. You have been addicted to anger for years. The cure is not just getting on your knees and confessing it to the Lord with tears in your eyes and getting up and walking away for good. It is a process. It is a process. But for us to cure your anger, we must identify what the source is. Pastor, I have an angry spirit. Where does this angry spirit come from? I can't get, you can't get rid of your angry spirit unless you know where it comes from. Can I tell you what the most likely culprit is? It's your own pride. It's your own pride. Proverbs 13 verse 10 says this, Only by pride cometh contention. That's anger. But with the well-advised is wisdom. Pride. You say, well, pastor, it's not that I'm proud. It's that I'm impatient. And can I tell you what impatience is? Impatience is pride. And impatience is saying, I want it right now. I want what I want right now. And I have to have it right now. And and I won't wait any longer. And son, I told you to take the trash out. You didn't do it right when I said it. You will take it out right now. And and I'm not going to be patient with you. I want you to do it right now. And there's nothing wrong with expecting your children to do what they're told when they're told to do it. But that flaring up of the anger is an evidence of an impatience in your heart and a pride within your heart. Uh, it's it, 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 that impatience and you say well pastor i can't help it i'm irish or i can't help it i'm italian or i can't help it i'm north korean i don't know what your excuse is uh, uh, but uh, listen whatever your country of origin is whatever your roots are from that is not an excuse for you to be angry as the bible explains that anger is a sin you say well pastor i'm not uh, proud i just uh, I, i'm just disgruntled with where i'm at in life and that disgruntlement, that uh, those unmet expectations within my life have led me to be angry. You know, I, I'm not married at a certain point in my life, or my spouse has left me, or my children aren't behaving the way they want, or I'm not making the grades in school that I would like, or I don't have the friends that I feel like I should have, and I feel lonely, and, and all of this. Can I just tell you what all that is? And to use a Bible word, it's... It's a spirit of discontentment. I hurt for you if you're in that spot. But discontentment is pride. And that pride leads to anger. Here quickly some other culprits. Bad friends. Bad friends. I quoted this verse earlier. Proverbs 22 verse 24. Make no friendship with an angry man. Lest thou be like him and learn his ways. Many wives have married an angry man. Many men have married an angry wife. And they were not angry when they entered into the marriage. But after some years, they became angry because they were married to someone who was angry. The Bible tells us we are to avoid friendship with those who are angry or we will learn their anger. Let me give you one other one here. And I believe this one also is huge. 
Here's another reason why people are quickly angry. They're stirred up quickly. They have signed themselves over to anger. Here it is. Guilt over unconfessed sin. Guilt over unconfessed sin. Some of you have done some things in your life that you're very ashamed of in your past. You've never really dealt with it. You've never gotten closure on it. And you're like King Saul. Because you have messed up royally. You feel a sense of guilt. And that sense of guilt, that sense of guilt leads to an angry spirit. So what is the cure? Can I offer it to you in both a word and an acronym? The word is different than the acronym. The word is humility. You must humble your heart. You see, you can't offend a humble man. You can't offend a humble woman. If I were to have a casket with a dead body in front of me, and I were to walk up to that dead body, and I were to look at them in that casket, and excuse the disrespectful type illustration, I'm using it to make a point. But if I were to walk up to the body in that casket and say, you know what, you sure are ugly. Can I tell you that corpse would not be offended? Can't be offended. Now I could look at the person in the casket and say, you're a scumbag. Um, you, you, are, you are the most hurtful person that's ever walked the earth, and, and, and I can't stand you, and there's nothing good about you. Still not going to offend them. Maybe that's why Paul said we're to die daily. We're to crucify the flesh. You see, if you really are crucifying the flesh, if you really are dying daily, nothing that anybody does to you can offend you. If you're offended over someone's actions, that's a sign of pride within your heart. I love this quote. I don't even know if it fits my sermon perfect, but it's so good I had to give it. Here it is. Faith gets the most. Love works the most. But humility keeps the most. Faith gets the most. Love works the most. Humility keeps the most. That relationship that's splintered because of your anger, do you know if you'll humble your heart? There's a good chance you'll salvage that relationship. It's not enough to just simply remove anger from your life. We must also replace it. What do you replace it with? Well, the fruits of the Spirit impart kindness and patience and temperance. Let me give you an acronym for angry here. Letter A, admit the problem. You see, you can't overcome anger until you admit that you have an angry spirit or an anger problem. I would just again encourage you, find three spiritual people, mature Christians in your life, who know you well. And ask them point blank, do you see me as someone who has an anger problem? And let them be truthful with you. And don't get angry if they say yes. After that, you need to come to a realization that your anger is always a sin. Again, I reiterate, having your spirit stirred over an action, uh, it's impossible for that not to happen. But your actions beyond that are your choice. Admit the problem. In, never quit. 
till you have truly have victory. Never quit till you truly have victory. I've met people uh, in my life who have admitted they have an anger problem and they tried to overcome it, but when they have failed to do so, they just throw up their hands and just continue on with an angry spirit. Letter G, notice, give your mate and your children corrective privileges. You can have your children say to you, Dad, are you, are you feeling angry right now? I think that's a fair question. They're not telling you, Dad, you're, you're, you're getting angry again. And, and, and listen, um, I've, I've had, uh, I've shared with you my struggles in this area. Uh, my wife and children know that I've, I've struggled with being angry. I've never yelled at a church member. I've never lost my temper on uh, anyone professionally, praise the Lord, and I hope that will continue. But at home, at times, I've struggled. And, um, uh, you know, there are things you can say to someone when they're upset to make it worse. Such as, well, you sure are acting angry. Look at you and your angry spirit. Yeah, no, that's making it worse. But a, the Bible says, a soft answer turneth away wrath. How about that, are you? You upset right now? Uh, is something bothering you? If that's too much for you, how about you let them come up and put their hand on your shoulder before it goes too far? Letter R, repent without reserve. Meaning this, if you're not saved, you've got no shot of overcoming this. Repent. Repent. What does that mean? That means believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And the letter Y this one's important. Yield to the power of the Holy Spirit consciously three times a day. We all uh, anymore have smartphones. And those that don't have a smartphone, um, uh, they probably have some sort of a, a daily planning calendar. Um, um, I won't pick on you if you don't have a smartphone. But those of you that have a smartphone or some method of paper, uh, uh, keeping a calendar, will you set three reminders a day, morning, noon, and night? Will you... Stop what you're doing, and will you ask the Holy Spirit of God to give you victory in this area? Will you confess when you do wrong? Will you confess even the feeling of an angry spirit that isn't immediately confessed to the Lord? God can give you victory. He can give you victory. How does Satan take down a family? Well, he does it many ways. But I believe the most common tool he uses is an angry spirit. Let's set aside the lie that the only way I can get things done is by being angry. Oh, no. Oh, no. You don't need to be angry to get things done. You need to be spirit-filled and spirit-led to get things done. Lord, I ask this evening that you would Help us. Lord, I pray for that spouse, those children that have an angry spirit within the walls of their home. Lord, one of the tragedies of this quarantine have been people who've been locked up in, an, uh, in a home with an, abuse, an abusive person. Someone who has been signed over to the devil. Someone who's either possessed uh, the lost or oppressed the saved by a satanic angry spirit. And Lord, the the hurt that's caused in the life of so many. Lord, give them your grace. Lord, that one who's listening this evening, the many that are listening this evening that have an angry spirit, 
Would you break them? Would you show them? And Lord, would you deliver them? Lord, inject into us a heart of humility. Lord, we think about that prayer you prayed where you said, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. An angry spirit truly is evil. Lord, someone this evening maybe is listening in and they're filled with regret. Their children are grown and their children are wayward from the Lord and they look back after a sermon like this and they realize their angry spirit may have played a role. Lord, give them your grace and your comfort in their life and heart. Lord, we pray that you give them the ability to be able to recover those relationships. Oh God, how we love you and how we want to love you more. Help us, Lord, during this time of invitation. In Jesus' name, amen.